Blog Talk Radio. Kingway, Fox, Beardlock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex hat, you has had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. I hope everybody had a holly jolly Christmas, and this will be our final show of 2021, believe it or not. Uh, boy, time flies. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and we've got a great show planned for you guys tonight. But first, I got to say that Eric will not be able to be with us, but we have two additional Trexperts to fill the shoes of Eric. So let's start off with my usual Trexpert, Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good, trying to stay warm. About 54 today, which I'm surprised it got that warm, doesn't feel like it because I'm not sure I've actually seen the sun except about sunset today. Wow, that's that's swimming weather, Charles. Get on the shorts and hit the pool, baby. Wow. That's a heat wave. That is a heat wave. And also, as I said, to fill the shoes of Eric, we've had to bring in not one, but two additional Trek spurts. So next, we have also from Las Vegas, our very own Nate. How you doing tonight, Nate? I'm doing great. Yep, as Charles said, a nice 54 degrees and cloudy out here in uh, North Las Vegas. Oh, you lucky SOBs. Wow. And, and as I said, we have another very special guest for you guys tonight. Back from the grave. He hasn't been around in a while. My original, well, actually, yeah, my original host, I was his co-host on the old Masters of Disasters show way back in the day. He's the one that got me started on this whole thing, so it's him you have to blame. And, of course, I'm talking then none other than the awesome Admiral himself, Ken. And Ken is calling in from Albany, New York. How you doing tonight, Ken? Oh, right. great. You know, I had a doctor's appointment when those canceled, so he decided to, he decided to phone it in. So apparently I'm not I'm dead yet. Uh, well, that's good. And what is the weather in Albany? Are you having a heat wave there, too? Well, it's a little warmer today, yeah. Right right now it's dark, followed by widely scattered light in the morning. Uh, that tends to happen, doesn't it? <laughs> what? Yeah, really. That tends to happen. That's going to happen all the time, yeah, you know. I could go figure. Go figure. Anyways. So the, those are the co-hosts that we're going to have with you guys tonight, and we have a great show planned for you guys. We're going to be talking about last week's episode of Star Trek Discovery, Stormy Weather, directed by none other than the awesome Jonathan Frakes, who played Commander Riker himself. 
And we've got a lot of Star Trek news to talk about, Star Trek birthdays, of course, fan shout-outs, and convention calendar. So you don't want to go away. We have a lot to cover. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call. We'll get you right on the air. I want to say thank you to everybody because we broke 68,313 downloads of last week, which is just incredible. Uh, We're quickly approaching 70,000, and hopefully we'll break that by about this time next week. We also have 79,351 followers on our Facebook page. If you'd like to be a follower, just head over to uh, Check Talking and Beyond. You have to spell that all out. And at the top of the screen, you'll see the Live Long and Prosper symbol. I got to do is go there, tell us where you're listening from. Every week, I pick 15 lucky listeners. If you see a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim, you want to tune into the next show because you're going to be mentioned personally in a fan shout-out. And as I said, Eric is not with us tonight, so we've asked Ken, the Admiral himself, to come down off the bridge and step in. So, Ken, you get to start off our fan shout-outs this week. So who's on your list? Okay, this week we have Carrie Tithcott from Perth, Ontario, Canada, Live Long and Prosper. Hugh Thompson from Bangor, County Down, Northern Ireland. Fina van der Reed, Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Christine Nalfatou, Australia. Been watching Star Trek since the, since the 60s. Snuck out of bed as it was on late at night back then. Now she owns all the episodes. And Savia Marquez in Brazil. Brazil. And Charles, who's on your list? Who did I pick to throw on your list this week? Well, let's start off with Amy Fortin Davis from Ontario, Canada. Lynn Harrell from Missouri, USA, presently stationed in Florida. Holly Military. That's what I thought, too. Streetsville. Born and raised in Pennsylvania. Quincy Jackson. Saxon, who lives in Maryland. And Desmond H. Collins from Queensland, Australia. Not him. Anybody from New York? Oddly enough, I think so. First of all, we'd like to send out a hearty thank you and kapla to top fan Marlene Goyo Reddish from New York, who now lives in Derbyshire, England. We'd also like to say hello and thank you to Cudman Sox, who's in Albany, New York. Thanks in advance for the condolences. Uh, you don't need any condolences from me. I'm well aware of Albany, as is Ken. Maybe, maybe Ken has run into you on the streets. Who knows? Anyways, thank you so much for listening. We'd also like to say thank you to Alan Thomas Edwards from Manchester, England, Alex Greenier from the Netherlands, and last but definitely not least, Stephen Stockstill from Riverside, Ohio. And I got a message from a fan, and I just want to let you guys know that when we put up on the board uh, to say hello and let us know from your front, where you are from, we are not some scam agency that's trying to collect your information that we can make to your Facebook account or drain your bank account or steal your credit cards or, or send threatening letters to your mother or anything like that. 
Um, we, 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 we're just not doing that. We're just collecting that information so that we can pass it along on the podcast. We're not here to steal your information at all. There's no malice intended. It's just for fun so that people know where other Star Trek fans are listening from. That's all. No, no malice intended. I just wanted to get that out there. So now we do our Star Trek birthdays. That was not a Klingon song. You know, Grumpy Wharf says that every week. So uh, this is the part of the show where we do our birthdays, and we usually start off with the remembrances, where we remember those who are no longer with us. And for that, we usually turn to Eric. However, the Admiral is going to be stepping in for Eric this week. So, Ken, who's on your list? Remember, Serena Sand, Second Delusion, TOS, The Cage. Remember, Dick Miller, Vin, DS9, Past Tense 1 and 2, Mav, TNG, The Big Goodbye, Mr. Futterman in the movie Gremlins. Remember also Elisha Cook, Jr., Samuel T. Cogley in TOS Court Martial. And remember Charles Maxwell, Virgil Earp in TOS Spectre of the Gun. Some good episodes there. And uh, Charles, who's on your list? Let's start off with Timothy Carhart. He played Commander Hobson in the TNG episode Redemption Part 2. Nolly Thornton played Clara Sutter in TNG's Imaginary Friends. And then Jim gave me a couple of big ones this week. A big happy birthday to Rick Berman, executive producer, TNG, DS9, Boy, Enterprise, Perfect Generations, First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis. A lot of work in the late 80s, 90s, into the early 2000s. And then one young lady I sort of met I wish I'd been able to see her in L.A. for her final farewell to the fans and her great work in a movie, Woman in, Woman in Motion. But a happy birthday to Michelle Nichols, who played Yahura in the TOS series. Big birthday right there. Very big one. Yeah. And um, I've got some good ones on my list here. Um, we'd like to say happy birthday to Sandra Nelson, who played Morena in Vio and Voy's episode, Alter Ego. And she played Tavana, one of the Klingon soldiers in the Deep Space Nine episode, Soldiers of the Empire. We'd also like to say happy birthday to Nicholas Myers, who wrote Star Trek Four and Six and directed Star Trek Two and Six. And people say that even movies are the best movies. He did them all. So there you have it. But what some fans may not know is Nicholas Myers is actually well-known in the world of, um, um, what do you call that? Um, 
That's yes, that's a uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes. And thank you, Ken. He he was at a Holmesian. What do they call them? Holmesians? I'm not sure. Sounds about right. Anyways, uh, he was at a Sherlock Holmes convention down in Bennington, Vermont, at the college down there. And we all drove down there to meet him right around Star Trek VI and uh, brought a Star Trek VI poster along with me to have him sign it. And he, he said to me, he says, that is so funny because Star Trek follows him everywhere he goes. And he didn't expect to see anybody at a Sherlock Holmes convention there that was there for Star Trek. So I got a chance to meet him. He was a really great guy, and he signed my Star Trek six poster. So I wanted to throw that out there to you guys, just a little story. Oh. And uh, yeah, well, we also want to say happy birthday to Dr. Hugh Culber from Star Trek Discovery, Wilson Cruz. And uh, I haven't had a chance to meet him, so I really can't say much about him. But we do have a caller on the line, and let me see if I can get this thing to work. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk, and what's your name, and where are you calling us from tonight? Hey, my name's David. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. Hey, how you hey, doing, David? David? Yeah, I'm pretty good. How are you guys doing? Well, we can't complain. Can't complain. No one listens if we do, so we don't bother. And um, <laughs> I have one... I, <laughs> I have uh, a very special birthday, uh, actually, tomorrow, and uh, this is to my awesome daughter, Jamie, Jamie Lynn, who turns 27 years old tomorrow, and this particular story, I'm glad that Ken is with me, because Ken can attest to the whole story. The night that Jamie was born, which is New Year's Eve in 1994, uh, we went to Bellevue Maternity Hospital, and what they had on TV was the Twilight Zone Marathon. So all day long, Karen's in labor, and all we hear is dee, 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 Twilight Zone all day. And finally, finally at 3.14 in the afternoon, Jamie made her presence known to the world. One of the happiest days of my life ever. Uh, you know, when, when, when the nurse handed my daughter to me and I, I held her and, and she just looked up at me. She didn't cry. She was very, just looked at me, just stared at me with her eyes. And, and that was it. My life was forever changed just right then and there. And Ken was there with me the whole time. And since it was new year's, we figured we'd get to take the new year's in at the hospital, but they threw us out and made us leave. So Karen stayed at the hospital with Jamie and had New Year's, and Ken and I had to uh, traverse the weather. Well, unbeknownst to us, we had a wicked ice storm. And so we got home, and we ordered some Chinese food from the local restaurant, but we couldn't get there. So I called up the Chinese place and said, hey, can you deliver the food? And the guy said, oh, no, no, you order food, you pay food. You pay food, you order. I said, yeah, I want to pay for food. I can't get out of my driveway. Can you bring it over to me? They refused. They wouldn't deliver it. So in honor of my daughter's birthday and of New Year's, Ken and I hung out around the house, watched Dick Clark's Rock and Roll Ball, and had Little Debbie Feasts to celebrate Jamie's birth. And every year, we break out the Little Debbies, and we do the same thing every year. So, uh, yeah, so happy birthday to my awesome daughter, Jamie. 
Ken, did you want to add anything to that story? Did I pretty much get it right? I mean, I am getting awful long on the tooth here. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was really awfully rude of Karen not to go grocery shopping before she went into labor. I mean, that's that's the least she could have done. But yeah, it was so. Uh, yeah, that was basically that was it in the entire house. So we just sat there and like, you know, probably had the biggest sugar rush of our lives. Uh, and again, every year uh, in in celebration of Jamie's birthday. And this year I'm toying with actually breaking a room out in Facebook uh, and going live. Uh, but every year we have, Chinese, as a result, every year we have Chinese food and Little Debbie's. So, of course, tomorrow afternoon I have to go and pick up the Chinese food. Yep, uh, it's, and it's, it's funny, funny how time flies. <laughs> so, anyways... Happy, happy birthday to my awesome, incredible daughter, Jamie Linier, who's 27 years old at 314 tomorrow afternoon. And Jamie, this one's for you. Well, there's a punk in the alley when he's looking for a fight. There's an Arab on the corner buying everything in sight. There's a mother in the ghetto with another mouth to feed. Seems that everywhere you look today, there's misery and greed. I guess you know the earth is going to crash into the sun. But that's no reason why we shouldn't have a little fun. So if you think it's scary, if it's more than you can take, just blow out the candles and have a piece of cake. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Wow. And happy birthday, Jamie. All right, guys. So now we're going to do our convention, 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 calendar, 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 calendar. All right, guys. Convention calendar. All the conventions we're about to mention. If you'd like more information on them, I recommend you contact the event location or do a quick Facebook or uh, Internet search for more information. And, Ken, who are we starting off with on our convention calendar this week? Okay, Fan Expo Portland 2022, January 21st through 23rd, Oregon Convention Center, Portland, Oregon. Frankfurt Con. January 22nd, 2022, Capitol Plaza Hotel, Frankfurt, Kentucky. LumaCon, 2022, January 29th, 2022, Petaluma Community Center in Lucchese Park, Petaluma, California. London Comic Mart, 2022, January 30th, 2022, Royal National Hotel, London, UK. And on my list, I've got Sim Valley Toy and Comic Fest 2022, February 6th, Grand Vista Hotel, Simi Valley, California. We have Missouri Con 2022 at the Holiday Inn St. Louis Downtown Convention Center in St. Louis, Missouri. We have Con Quad Con in Des Moines, Iowa, February 12th, 2022 at the Des Moines, Iowa Merle May Mall. 
And last but not least on my list, we have Clandestine Comic Book Con 2022, February 13th, Double Tree Hilton Hotel in Laurel, Maryland. And Charles, who's on your list? All right, I've got East Bay Comic Con 2022, February 13th, at the Crown Plaza Concord Walnut Creek, Concord, California. Con Nuga, February 18th to 20th, Chattanooga Convention Center, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Pensacola, February 18th to 20th, Pensacola Bay Center, Pensacola, Florida. And Level Up Expo, February 25th to 27th, Las Vegas Convention Center. Las Vegas, Nevada. And that finishes now, are off you, our... Are you planning on attending that one? I may. I haven't decided what I'm up to yet. Not a lot going right. on at that one that's going to get me excited, but I may try. All right. That's cool. All right, guys, so that wraps up our convention calendar. Now it's time for Star Trek. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. All right, guys, all the stories we're about to talk about can be found in their entirety on our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. I've just summarized them to give you guys the important information from the story. And, Charles, what's on our list to start us? Well, this first one's one we've been kind of expecting to happen. Paramount Plus is a streaming destination for Star Trek content. It's where all the newest Star Trek shows live, including Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, and Strange New Worlds. It's also current home to all ten Star Trek movies. The service will further cement its place in the streaming services for Star Trek in 2022. The five classic TV shows, the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise, We'll leave Hulu and Amazon Prime, Voyage and Enterprise, left Netflix in October. That means Paramount Plus will become the exclusive subscription service streaming home for these shows. Star Trek the Animated Series has always already been a Paramount Plus exclusive. Paramount Plus also recently launched 24, 24-7 Star Trek Live channel. The channel... Shows episodes of Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Next Generation, and Star Trek Enterprise. I did not know about the live channel, but I think we've been expecting Paramount to finally take over control of Star Trek for the mainstream of those series. You know, where can you find the 24-7 live Star Trek channel? Does anybody know? Well, I don't know. Maybe WIX Channel. No, that's that, I wouldn't. Uh, Channel Eleven in New York City would be probably you know a good guess, but probably not. 
Yeah, I, I went onto my Paramount Plus and I didn't see uh twenty I didn't see a Star Trek channel there. So I don't know if it's part of Paramount Plus or is it a different cable channel altogether? I, I don't know. David, do you do you know? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I know there's a Paramount channel on there, but I don't know about a Paramount Plus channel. Nate, have you heard anything about this 24/7 Star Trek channel? Uh, no, I'm looking up an article on ComicBook.com uh, about it right now. Uh, is that the article that uh, Charles just read, or did you yeah. get it from somewhere else? Okay. No, um, that's the one. Yeah. The first yeah, time hearing about it. Yeah, I don't know where to find it, but apparently it's out there. So if you can find it, enjoy it. Maybe Google it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I have Paramount Plus anyway, so any I would watch whatever Star Trek I wanted. But I don't know if this channel is for people that don't have it, or if it's in addition to it. I I don't know because when you go to Paramount Plus. You can pick the individual series, but I didn't see an icon there for 24-hour Star Trek random. I don't know. Anyways, it's out there. Did you do a inside Paramount Plus website? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't try that. But it's out there for you guys if you can find it. Uh, 24-hour Star Trek, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Jonathan Frakes is a Star Trek legend and the franchise's secret weapon behind the camera. Most uniquely, he's now been involved in directing TV episodes of Star Trek across nearly 30 years. With the explosion of Paramount Plus Trek series Mastermind by Alex Kurtzman, all with different creative teams that were steering the Trek shows, Frakes appeared on such as The Next Generation. He's one bit of connective tissue that ties these disparate eras together. He's directed the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery titled Stormy Weather, which we're going to talk about tonight. And his character and actor-centric approach for this installment is immediately apparent. At the end of the Stormy Weather episode, the AI Zora confronts Captain Burnham as she risks her life to fly the Discovery solo through a spatial anomaly. In the final version of the episode, Zora sings Stormy Weather, but the initial plan was to have the actual recording made famous by Lena Horne of the 1940s play in that moment. It was the perfect song choice, Frake said. For the metaphors that ran deep, the relationship between Burnham and Book and the trouble that the ship is in, the state of the Federation, that's typical of his ability to see connections across eras that might not be readily apparent. Fans may remember the twirl across the 1940s ballroom in first contact of the unexpected Gilbert and Sullivan duet and insurrection. Frakes, who already completed directing two episodes of the upcoming second season of Star Trek Picard, and his sign-off for two more for the third season after that. We had all the toys, Frake said, of that final stormy weather scene of Burnham steering the ship. 35 years after he first set foot on the bridge of the Enterprise-D, Frake's enthusiasm for Star Trek burns as bright as ever. So uh, Frake's is back. He directed the latest episode, and we're going to talk about that, oh, very, very, very soon. And I believe... That it's, yes, it is. It's time for us to take a very quick commercial break. But please, please, please don't touch that dial. Run to the bathroom, run to the kitchen, grab something to eat, grab a slice of pizza, and come right back. Because after this very important message, we're going to hear from Charles. 
Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. And uh, Nate, were you able to find where the Star Trek channel is located? Uh, well, again, uh, the article I looked at uh, stated uh, that um, it says on Thursday, I'm guessing today, the service launched an entire wave of linear channels that have curated programming running 24-7 that subscribers can simply turn on and enjoy. So I'm guessing it's somewhere within Paramount Plus that you'll have to tab or look for a link that'll send you to the to the particular 24-7 channel. Oh, I'll have to I'll uh, check actually, that out. I did, some, I did some looking. I believe it's Paramount's other service. Pluto TV, because I did find an article that Pluto TV is running a new channel, and they have run oh. some Star Trek already. That would make sense, because um, when they pulled Discovery off of Netflix, didn't they put it onto Pluto in international markets? Yes, I, I think, think they... so, but I've also seen... I've also seen where what they were running it, I think Comedy Central uh, for a couple of episodes, and Pluto was also included in that show. Oh, I'll have to go and check out Pluto after the podcast because uh, Jamie and I have not watched the new episode of Discovery yet. We will watch it after the podcast because if I watch it before the podcast, then I get the episodes mixed up and talk about things that haven't happened yet. So. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I'll, I'll do that after the podcast. All right. So, Charles, you've got our next uh, perfectly placed story. I'm looking forward to this one specifically. An exclusive first look at Star Trek Discovery, the Book of Grudge from Zero Collector. Humans were domesticated by cats millennia ago. So we have, for the most part, a very symbolic relationship, according to Grudge. Those talented folks at Hero Collector have launched a truly unique book, a extremely colorful and entertaining work based on drudge, the cat, and lightning perspective on all things U.S. discovery. Search for Discovery, the book of Grudge, will be published on, is released on January 4th and is available meow for pre-order. Price at $14.95 in the U.S., $19.95 in Canada. The book contains 96 pages of beautiful artwork by Walter Newton and dazzling photos of an apparently impatient grudge taken on the Discovery set. Needless to say, the book's author and grudge's interpreter and in adventure, Rob Perlman, is a big fan of Star Trek. Books cat, Grudge, is a Mancoon, the largest domesticated cat breed and one of the oldest breeds in North America. It is actually played by two C-line film stars, Liu and Durbin, both look alike brothers. 
Herman was presented with a unique set of problems in trying to understand an actually colossal cat from Sejan. You're working under the false pretense that Drudge is a cat. He is, in fact, a queen. Herman laughed. Drudge isn't much of a talker and hasn't had a whole lot of screen time on the show. I was able to glean a lot for her body language, a swish of her tail, a sign and eye roll. All speak volumes if you know how to listen. And I believe Jim's got a special announcement about Rob yes. Perlman. Yes, we had Rob Perlman on the podcast, well, about, about what, two months ago maybe, Charles? Was it? About that. Give or take? A couple of months ago. And we, at the time, we were talking about the release of the Book of Grudge, which got pushed back a couple of months. And I've been in contact with him, and he's perfectly happy to come on the show. He's going to talk with us about the new book, about interviewing Grudge, and we are going to have copies of the book to give away for free to you guys, our loyal listeners. As soon as I can work it out with his publisher and we can get a date and a time, I will get all that information posted on our Facebook page. So if you're interested in a free copy of the Book of Grudge, you want to stay tuned and you want to tune in, give us a call, talk to Rob Perlman, and uh, find out exactly, you know, what kind of prima donna is Grudge. We don't know. We'll find out from Rob himself. So that's pretty exciting, and I'm looking forward to it. Anytime we can give stuff away to you guys, that's great. And that, that includes you, David, right? Ab- absolutely. And uh, Ken, I believe you have the next story for us. Yes. Jonathan Frakes on his future with Star Trek Discovery, Strange New Worlds, and Picard. Last week's episode of Star Trek Discovery, Stormy Weather, was helmed by Next Generation veteran Jonathan Frakes, who talked about Discovery and his growing involvement in the Star Trek franchise. Frakes talked about the parallels between Star Trek The Next Generation and the fourth season of Discovery, including bringing up moral and ethical questions. Frakes pointed to the emergence of Zora, the ship's AI, becoming sentient as a particular example. It has a lot of data, doesn't it? Aspiring to have sentience and aspiring to have human emotions, as Zora's sentience and character has been revealed as the season goes on. I think it's intriguing that the other characters on the show treat Zora with respect and a certain level of politeness and civility then one doesn't associate with talking to Siri or a computer or Alexa. I think it's very clever what's happening with Zora, frankly. Last week's episode was Jonathan Frake's seventh time behind the camera for Star Trek Discovery. He talked about how it, he feels a special connection to the Discovery. Well, Discovery had become my, for lack of a better word, my home show. Because when I started with them in season one, I had... I felt this camaraderie. Unfortunately, I finally embraced that. I'm the old guy. So I was sort of a big brother figure or plucky uncle, father. Whatever, I had come from another Star Trek and I'm thrilled to be directing this next version of Star Trek as well as Strange New Worlds and Picard and to be part of Lower Decks. So I feel very blessed to carry on the tradition of Star Trek. But I always look forward to coming on Discovery because Suniqua is number one. 
You couldn't ask for a better number one on a call sheet. A fifth season of Discovery has yet to be announced, but in his appearance on the ready room when talking about the AR wall, which was not required for stormy weather, Frakes indicated he expected to return to direct more Discovery. I never got to shoot on the AR wall. I look forward to it next season, but it looks fabulous. I watched the Q-take, which is where they what they feed into the producer's office. It's breathtaking. It beats what we used to do. We just talked to an X on a green screen. Frakes also specified what un- which upcoming seasons of other Star Trek shows he's working on as a director via screen rent. I did a number of them in Picard Season 2, and I'm just finishing editing a couple of episodes directed in Season 3. I love being on that show as well, and I booked to direct Strange New Worlds Season 2, which I missed out on in Season 1 because of the pandemic. The second season of Strange New Worlds has yet to be officially announced, but is reported to be going into production in February of 2022, even before Season 1 premieres, which is expected in the spring. While he hasn't yet directed Strange New Worlds, he did talk about how it will be different than other shows, saying that show has yet another new flavor for Trek. Wow. So he kind of let he kind of let a lot out of the bag there, you know. He he confirmed that there is going to be a season five of Discovery, which, as the article said, hasn't been made official yet. And of course, Strange New Worlds season two which, again, hasn't been made official, but Frank, uh, Frank Freaks, let's get out of the bag. Get out of the bag about grudge. So that's, that was pretty cool. And if you guys watched The Ready Room last week with Will Wheaton, you would have heard that right out of his mouth. I think I, I think I blew that for everybody last week on the podcast, though, didn't I? Yeah. I, I think I did. Yes, did. <laughs> I did, yes. I, uh, yeah. I, I watched it. Uh, the right. room that, was, that was an okay week. That was pretty cool. All right, guys. Are we ready to uh, talk about some discovery here? Yeah. I think so. So listen, guys, our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We're going to be talking about discovery stormy weather. We've got a lot to talk about. I've got some really interesting sound bites that I pulled off the episode that we're going to talk about. Um, if you have not seen the episode, then I must warn you, red alert! Suffice to say, full spoilers follow from here on out, so if you haven't watched the episode yet, definitely go check that out first before you watch. All right, Will Wheaton gave you a warning, so no hate mail, please, if the episode gets spoiled. This is last week's episode, Stormy Weather. If you haven't seen it yet, or if you just want a reminder, here's the clip. Our mission today is to find any clues the DMA left behind. We're going into the subspace rift. I don't have any nav readings. Can you get us visuals? Those are the visuals, Captain. That's it. That's all there is. Whatever's out there is getting closer faster than we expected. Wow. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But first, we always post on our Facebook page. I like to involve you guys, the fans, our listeners, and our Facebook followers in the show as much as possible. 
I always post a, a little question on our Facebook page asking you guys, the fans, to score the episode. And we always read back what you guys scored, and we give it a total score. And then we go through and we discuss it to see how close we come to what you guys, our fans and listeners, said. So, Ken, what did our Facebook fans have to say about last week's episode, Stormy Weather? Survey says, uh, top fan, John G. Milne, David is always a 10. Infa Loju, a 10. Stephen John Sisko, 8.5. Top fan, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Jenkins, 10. Deontay L. Holloman, 9. Reed Robertson, 7.5. Brian Jolie, nine. I'm sorry, but Gray's mullet cost this episode a full point. Francois Scott, four. Went on and on about everyone's feelings. Sci-fi having heart is great, but for everyone, all the time, including the ship's feelings? Dwayne Takeda, three. Too much tech solving, not enough people. The climax of the story was literally just watching Burnham getting overheated. Sorry, in my humble opinion. Braden Plutzer, a 10. So, running, this, running all these numbers through our magical computer, the fan score turns out to be an 8.1. Which isn't all too shabby. We were talking a little bit before the podcast um, and the average score for discovery by you guys, the fans this so far this season is right around an eight, um, 8.4. So this episode is right there. So no, no surprises. And uh, let's dive right into it. What do you guys say? You ready to take yep. a deep dive? All right. Let's, let's see how much time we have set in the computer here. All right. We've got some time to dive in first here. That's cool. All right. The first soundbite that I want to play for you guys, I'm glad that Nate is here with us for this one, um, is called Enterprise. We are closing on the subspace rift, Captain. In reviewing Starfleet records of similar encounters, it appears we can anticipate some interference. Uh, Enterprise noted heated plasma. Voyager charted ionized particle eddies. So it'll be bumpy. So, obviously the reason why I picked that clip Finally, we get confirmation that, yes, there is an Enterprise. It's still there. It made it. It's fitting that this would be mentioned in the episode that Frakes directed, of course. But I thought it was great that they finally mentioned Enterprise. I also wanted to say that there's a scene where they're at the Archer Station, and there's a starship being worked on in the in the bay, and it was very reminiscent of Star Trek, the motion picture, because they had the same hexagon-shaped lights shining up on the ship, which I noticed right away. So I love that little homage to Star Trek, the motion picture. I love the fact that they mentioned the Enterprise and Voyager in the same sentence. So Voyager and Enterprise are tooling around together. We know that it's Voyager J, because Tilly mentioned that way, way, way ago. We don't know what Enterprise number this would be. Uh, K-L-M-N it, it, I'm not sure But um, yeah The Enterprise is mentioned 
we, we I have seen up, G. at least G. up until K. So uh, as far as, you know, people, fans and other people's depictions. So, yeah, so mm, it's at very least at least K. K. So that was interesting. And while we were talking about the Enterprise, I wanted, I'm glad that we have Nate here because I, I, I have a couple of things I wanted to mention. Originally on Star Trek, the original series, every starship, every star base, everybody had a different emblem on their shirts. And if you watch TOS, you'll see there none of them are the same. All of a sudden, the motion picture comes along, and the Enterprise Chevron became adapted as the official representation of everything in Starfleet. Makes more sense that they would have a standard symbol. However, because I'm old, and I remember back in the day, I seem to recall, it might have been the Star Trek chronology, uh, might have been the Starfleet technical manual. Uh, this, will, uh, this is all predate TNG. We're talking the 70s here, 75, 76, 77. I seem to recall that, that Nate can correct me here, that there were originally 12 Constitution-class starships built and sent out on a five-year mission. Only one returned. That was the Enterprise. Because the Enterprise was the only one that came back, they adapted the Enterprise's symbol as the official symbol of Starfleet at that point. And uh, that's the way I recall it from my Star Trek history. Um, Nate, does that sound, does that ring a bell to you? Yeah, that sounds about right. That there so, were 12 and, and it was the sole survivor. It was the sole survivor, right. It was the only ship that came back. And I don't of course, know. It, it actually destroyed I, a few ships in the Ultimate Computer episode. Um, so some of them were were destroyed by the Enterprise itself. Yep. And I don't know. I don't know if that was ever. And and now we're going to get into the canon thing. I don't know if that if if that fact was actually officially mentioned anywhere on any show or the animated series. Um, that information I just got out of a tech manual that I used to have laying around way back in the day. Um, so I don't know if it's actually considered uh, official canon or if that's canon adjacent, but um, that's the way I remember it back from the early days of Star Trek conventions when we didn't have the internet, we didn't have TNG, and we barely had the motion picture. And that, that's the way I remember it. So I just wanted to throw that out there. 12 original starships. Only one came back, USS Enterprise. So that that's pretty cool. Um, so does anybody want to say anything about the Enterprise or? or I, uh, I do actually. Uh, I was under the impression uh, that actually the name drops of both the Enterprise and Voyager were referring to pre the the previous ones. Uh, whether that was the Constitution or the D, uh, but I got the I got the impression it was actually referring because I thought the conversation was about the Great Barrier, which yes, the original Enterprise did deal with the Great Barrier uh, in a TOS episode. I believe it was uh, where No Man Has Gone Before, actually. Um, so I got the impression that. They were referring to past enterprises, not an enterprise or or a um, voyage, not the 
not a current Enterprise or Voyager, but past episodes of Voyager and uh, Star Trek. Did yeah, you guys possible. not get that impression? That's that, well, that very well could be. In Undiscovered Country? No, Star Trek V, I thought uh, that was where they went to Shangri-La, and uh, I thought that was the Great Barrier also. Yeah, I think that but, was the Great Barrier But I believe there also. was a TOS episode that the Enterprise went to the Great Barrier. I also think there was a T, uh, TNG episode that went to the Great Barrier, too. <laughs> Yeah, I the only reason the only reason why I I can see this both from both sides. The only reason why I thought they were talking about a current one is because we'd heard them mention Voyager in the past. They in fact they specifically put it on the screen and and I think Detmer says Voyager J or something like that. So they specifically mentioned Voyager and the way they had the um Archer station set up with those hexagonal uh, lights. It just made me think they were talking about today. So I could see that. But but you're right. The Enterprise did visit the, the Great Barrier, and I'm sure Voyager encountered it. But I would think that other starships would have run into um, eddies at some point in time. I mean, there's yeah. many, many starships out there. So the, the fact that they specifically name-dropped Enterprise and Voyager just made me think that they were talking about now. But, but, but you're right. There is, no specific, there is no specifics as to what Enterprise or what Voyager they were referring to. Yeah, could be. Could be. You know, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's Cybox sending the DMA back. Maybe he got sucked into the void in Star Trek five and he's all ticked off now and he's sending the DMA out of the great barrier to wipe everybody out. Who knows? Could be. Leave it to the bearded Vulcans. The beard. I'm telling you, you got there. He's evil. Actually. He's from the mirror universe. Like Lorca. I'm telling you. Um, cause all mirror universe always have beards. <laughs> always. <laughs> so, uh, Actually, Jim. Actually, Jim. We we know the answer, but we can't give it away because that's for the next show. Oh, we do. Okay, I haven't watched the next we, show yet, so we we so, do. Uh, Me neither. We because it was the show that was broadcast today, but we can't say anything about it because we're not going to talk about it until next week. Yep. That's right. None of us have watched it. None of us have watched it yet. But the answer to that has been solved. Oh, cool. To, All right. As, uh, who, whom sent uh, the anomaly? Well, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that here. Um, I got another clip for you guys I want to play, and uh, I think Freaks mentioned it in his article. It's called Zora. Zora, call all bridge personnel to stations, please. Thank you, Captain. It's only polite. Did you? We ran level 10 diagnostics twice. There's no irregularities. All systems are operating within the defined parameters, Mr. Saru. It seems my emotional development is an organic evolution. Yet I can tell the captain still has concerns. I understand, of course. We're in uncharted territory. There's a lot to consider. 
carry on, Zora. So now we finally see that Zora has made Zora is actually now where Zora was, where we saw her in Calypso, which actually came out prior to this episode. That was a short trek, what, two years ago, I think? Maybe? Anyways. I can so, and Yeah, it might have been three. It was a long time ago. So now Zora has finally become the Zora that, she, that we see her as in the Calypso short trek. And I'm still trying to figure out how that short trek fits into the timeline. Uh, we don't know exactly how far in the future that episode took place. We don't know. But we do know that Zora is running Discovery at that point in time. And it's been abandoned for a very, very long time in a nebula when we, when we first meet Zora. So now we're seeing she Zora. Said a thousand years in, in that short trek that she'd been alone too. Right. So, so is that a thousand years? See, now we're back to trying to, is that a thousand years after discovery season four, five, six, whatever? Or was that a thousand years from the first time we saw the discovery in the Vulcan? Hello. I, 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 I don't know, but it's in the future. It's, it's in the future at any rate. Um, and now we're seeing Could it Zora. be that Zora is a uh, mere universe version of herself, that Calypso uh, episode? I would tend to agree that now at this stage it is a mere universe because the discovery is totally different than that discovery. Um with the refit that it got uh, that in that short track, it was the old design, not with the separated nacelles. So in a way that is a, a mere universe uh, episode for it. Yeah, that would, that would make sense. That makes sense that, that it, it, it's not the prime timeline. Totally. I mean, the only, the only thing that we know for sure is that, um, what was his name? Booker? No, not Booker. What was the name of the guy? Cleveland? No. A funny face. What was the name of the guy, Charles, in that episode? Ooh. Was it Book? Oh. No. No, oh, it's Craft. That's the current character. It, yeah, it was Craft. Sounds right. Craft. Craft, Craft said that Craft. he was at war with the Vidresh, which we thought meant Federation way in the future. And then later on in episode uh, one, uh, of, of last season, uh, we find out when the, when the discovery crashes on the ice planet in the future and we meet that evil dude there, uh, he uses the word Vadrash and he, so we know that wherever Zora, wherever Calypso was from, they use the same name for the Federation because the Federation didn't exist at that point in time. That's the only tie we have to Calypso to discovery is that Vadrash and Zora. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's the place where, um, where Carl sent Giorgio, you know, could be, we don't know. But the reason why I picked that clip is I wanted to get your guys' take on, on the discovery now being a character in the show that essentially the discovery is now Zora. So 
the Enterprise has always been considered to be a character in the show, hence that beautiful flyby from Star Trek, the motion picture. But now in Discovery, it's actually true. Zora is Discovery, who now is a character on the show. What do you think about that, Dave? Oh, me? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, what do you um, think, Dave? Uh, I, thought, uh, uh, I thought it was interesting. I'm wondering if they're going to make a body for this character to, like, start to walk around like Data. That's just something I thought it would be interesting to see, but I don't know if they're going to do that, but who knows? It's okay. Yeah, they they could. I mean, uh, the doctor had a holographic body and emitter where he could wander. At first, he could only stay in the sick bay, but later on, and I think the technology was 32nd century, was his hollow emitter, I think. Does that sound about right, Nate? Oh, I thought it was current uh, Voyager era technology for the Doctor's uh, emitter. I didn't know it was from the future. Yeah, I didn't. Did, did, yeah. Uh, he went into he went into the future and got it right, if, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. They went. Some time travel ship came by and uh, transported them all into the future, and then they uh, ended up getting it, and then they came back to the original time. Yeah, and I think that was 32nd century, which which is just about now. For I kept Discovery. thinking he said 36 or 39th or something. I don't know if it was 32nd per se, but it was from. Yeah, the you might have been right. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen that episode in ages myself, but um, yeah, it was from the future. So I guess you're right. They could they could make a body for Zora, and she could wander around. I mean, they did it for the doctor on Discovery. They could easily do it. And, and we know that they that holographic bodies isn't something they abandoned because we see holographic Janeway and Prodigy. So they could easily give her a physical form, and she could become part of the crew and interact with them, which is interesting. All right, guys, believe it or not, we have to take another quick commercial break. So go, go and get your chicken wings and pizza out of the microwave. Go to the bathroom real quick. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after we hear from our birthday girl, Jamie. Hi, this is Jamie from Chep Talking, here to invite you to join us for the best sci-fi themed podcast. Our elite team of Trexperts are here to discuss Star Trek and sci-fi themed content. Call 646-668-2433. Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Coast Time. We can't wait to hear from you. Live long and prosper. And we're back. So uh, when, when does anybody have the answer? When did the doctor get his holographic transmitter? It is from the 29th century. 29th. So it, it's it's before Voyager. I mean, it's before Discovery. Yes. I knew I had a nine in it. <laughs> yes. You, yeah. We, we were, yeah. So, yeah, which means that the, the technology that we have currently on Discovery would be more advanced than the, than the doctor's mobile admitter. 
So yeah, they could easily do that for the doc for Zora if they chose to. Very easily. So Alright, so I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but Tilly's not on the show anymore. I don't know if you noticed, but she's gone. <laughs> maybe you did, maybe you didn't, I don't know. But what I did notice is that they're filling her role with other characters and um, or having other characters um, fill in where she would have been had she still been there. One of the changes I noticed uh, is this clip right here. More power to sustain. Commander Samus, if you're sitting on any extra power, we're going to need it. Uh, sure, I think I've got some tucked away under my chair. I knew you would. Put me to work, whatever you need. Oh, great. Um, help ramp down any non-essential functions and redirect power, since I don't actually even have a chair. Oh, and um, thank you. I'm glad you're here. So this is a major change for the character of Stamets. He's always been like the, the, the cranky straight guy until he's always been the one there that's been cracking the joke or singing a song or, or breaking the tension with, with, with a comment that's kind of off the cuff or maybe dropping the F-bomb, uh, you know. It's always been Tilly that's doing that, but she's not there now. So it seems to me like they're, they're moving Stamets into that role um, because he kind of told a, a joke about being blown out an airlock a couple of episodes ago. Now he's, now he's joking about pulling power out from underneath his seat and saying thank you to Book, which are all very unstamitsy type of actions for this particular character. So it seems to me like he's, he's mellowing out, or maybe the writers are writing him different to fill the void left behind by Tilly. What do you guys think? Nate, what do you think? Me? Well, um, what I think about this is uh, I'm not going to talk about Stamets, even though that you had just mentioned him. I'm going to go pivot to Adira. So previously, we had, as you mentioned, Tilly was with Stamets there in four drive engineering. That's what I'm just going to call it because I don't know if it's actually – because I don't think the warp – engines are actually located there in that area. So Spore Drive Engineering, Tilly and Stamets used to work there together. Uh, then they moved Tilly to the bridge uh, to fill a position that I don't think needed to be filled. I think they just made up a position for her in there. But now, then, then you see Adira come in and fill that same position with Stamets in uh, Spore Drive Engineering. Uh, And then now you you see her actually moved uh, up to where Tilly was on the bridge out of Spore Drive Engineering. And I think, to me, it links into the fact, and I kind of mentioned this in my post on the Facebook page, is that – it seemed like with Tilly before she left that they weren't exactly sure what to do with her character anymore. And so they were give I mean, they even made her number one for a little bit. Uh, but so she started down there, then they moved her to the bridge to do stuff. Then she became number one. And then now she's uh, off of the show for whatever, probably a real life reason for the, for the actress. Um, 
But then now you have Adira doing the same thing. Well, she came in, she got put into Spore Drive Engineering, and then now she got moved up to fill Tilly's position up on the bridge. So it seems like to me that now they don't know what to do with that character as well. Um, so I know you wanted me to talk about uh, Stamets, but the, those two characters, Adira and Tilly, kind of are uh, also, ha- to me, having they're having a problem with uh, wh- what they want to do with her. Well, since you brought it up, let's talk about uh, – so we have Adira. Now, Adira specifically says in this episode that she's filling in for Linus, who's underneath a heat lamp, whatever that means. He's molting, I guess. I don't know. But he's underneath a heat lamp. Now, Linus was never on the bridge, but apparently now he is, and she's stepping in for him. We also saw a couple episodes ago, we saw Lieutenant Christopher – and um, somebody else at the helm filling in for Detmer and uh, Reese. Um, and now in this episode, the, the, the quote, original bridge crew is back now, and these other characters are somewhere else on the ship. But we also have Gray, who's not a commissioned officer, uh, hanging out on the ship doing we don't know what. We also have Book, who also is a non-commissioned person, hanging out on the ship, uh, doing Tilly's work in engineering, I guess. He was working with Stamets. Um, so, you know, we have, a lot of, we have a lot of characters hanging around now that really don't have a place to hang. Uh, plus, we still have Jet Reno, who, who is on the ship. And as you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we have Dr. Culber, but we also have um, Dr. Pollard. Now... Yep. Culber, uh, from what I take from what we've seen so far, uh, it seems to me like Dr. Culber is moving into what would have been the counselor's position where Dr. where uh, Deanna Troy used to be. Uh, I don't know if starships still have counselors. We, we don't know enough about the future, but it seems to me like Culber is becoming more of a counselor Troy type of character. Um, that's yeah, the way I take right. it. Yeah, I, right, I would agree think? with that. Yeah. Ken, what do you think? With all these characters. Wait, are you saying Dave? <laughs> or, or Ken, Dave, Charles, oh. anybody? <laughs> um, well, I actually think that the, uh, the characters are definitely going to be um, having multiple things to do anyway. It's kind of like what Dr. Colbert is now also a counselor. Uh, it seems like Stamets is not just an engineering. He's also a uh, the person who apparently is driving the ship through the mycelial network. But, I mean, you know, it, it seems like everybody, even on Enterprise, there was a lot of characters who had multiple jobs. And it just seems like throughout the entire series, it seems like a lot of people had multiple roles, basically when it came to this kind of stuff. But as far as replacing Tilly, I'm thinking what if Zora did actually come into the character where Zora might actually be replacing Tilly. So I don't know. Yeah, we have a lot lot of characters flying around on Discovery now, um, well, including Zora. 
What do you think, Charles? You think we're going to see more characters leaving? Uh, I don't know if it's as much we're having characters leave as I think there's, except for the bridge crew, except when they're except when they're off duty, is you've got a lot of people who cross train where they do maybe doing multiple positions. And I think the reason they kind of came up with a counselor was, I think, realizing that the crew was under a lot of stress because of the jump, and a lot of the crew needed somebody they could talk to to deal with their stress and their issues. Just as we've seen Book do... And Tilly do is that they've realized they need somebody on ship who can be a counselor because of all the problems they're running into. So I think the counselor kind of got created because of the re- realization of what happened with them jumping in the future like they did. But you do have a lot yeah. of people who cross-train where Tilly could be Okay, she's assigned to engineering, but when you need the engineering, an engineering person or science person up on the bridge, then you have a science person that's up there. Because I think engineering has their own computer unit up near the captain's stair. Because <clears throat> we've seen Burnham at that station before. We've actually seen, I think we've seen Saru at that station. But that's the science station which I think is manned by engineering. So that's, I would assume, probably based on that, that Linus actually works with engineering. Yeah, we haven't actually, yeah, we, did we see, did we see Linus? I don't yeah, remember if we him saw him. We've seen him on bridge a couple of times. Have we, okay. Yeah, I remember he was beaming around when they got the new, the new communicators with the transporters, yeah. and he was beaming all around the ship. And, uh, that might have been the last take... episode we saw him was when they got those communicators. Yeah, I'm not sure. But at any rate, there is one before we before we get on because yeah, we we got plenty of time. Before we move on though, I do I did want to talk about Adira and and uh, um and Gray. I I didn't I thought it was when 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 Gray was a apparition of Adira's mind and no one else could see Gray except for her and because of the Trill thing and everything that happened and I thought that was was an interesting um, dilemma to be in how how, uh, Gray was kind of caught in between worlds um, through Star Trek magic and I thought that was an interesting thing to explore for a Trill to be going through and that was all great but now that gray is an actual uh, golem body kind of like they did with picard what's the purpose of this character i mean what what, what where is this character going to fit in on discovery and my my concern what i don't want to see happen is i don't want to see this turn into star trek 90210 where you know, it's, it's, it's these guys having lover spats and lover's quarrels and, and whatnot and whatnot and whatnot. I mean, I think that they, they need to find a place, a reason to justify keeping Gray on the ship. 
Um, so, what do you guys think about that? That's that's what I thought. Wasn't Adira a human and not a troll? Yes, Adira was a human, and there, I, I, there's there's a name for her. Um, yeah. Guardian Z calls her a specific name because for a trill to join with a human is like like extremely like like winning the lottery rare. I mean, trill yeah. have gone into humans if they need to, like a trill went into Riker briefly on TNG, but mm-hmm. there, apparently there's never been a trill that has that has permanently. Um, lived in a human because they're not compatible for for whatever the reason might be. In this particular case, uh, she was. So Guardian Z had a name for that. He called her something special uh, because she had a a trill in her. Um, So so that might have something uh, to do with it. Yeah, but your previous question about Gray is what they're going to be doing with her. I'm guessing... She's really just there for support. She's a supporting actress. Or, yeah, she's just there to uh, help with situations like, I guess, what they did in the last episode in The Void, you know, where she was talking to the computer and everything, and then she was able to solve it about the situation. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah, just I guessing she's just there for support. I, I don't... Um... I don't dislike the character um, at all. I like the interaction that, that Gray has with Adira. I, I kind of like that that dynamic that they have. And I like the dynamic that Gray has with the with Zora. And in particular in the episode, uh, it was Gray that got Zora on track and helped Zora focus to solve the problem. And I also like the way Gray relates to... Zora at the end before they went into the pattern buffer, which we're going to talk about. And she says to Zora, she says, you got this. So I, I don't mind the way they used gray in this particular episode, but I guess my question is how long can that go on before that becomes, you know, a trope of the show? That's what I don't want to see happen. So I was wondering what you guys thought about, about that. What do you think about that character, Nate? Uh, about gray. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, uh, to me, the the two of them are always just uh, seem to be like C plot, you know, because most shows have an A B C plot and maybe even a D plot. But uh, to me, the uh, gray is mostly a background character. Although this this previous week that we're talking about here, this episode. Uh, Gray got a chance to do more, but uh, I, I do see your points there where uh, Gray was uh, much more interesting when uh, he didn't have a body um, and was just a, uh, a thing in the mind of Adira. So, um, uh, yeah, it, it's it, it, the, the Gray is, to me, Gray is just a background character and if you do have any show, if you do have too many characters, uh, some are going to end up getting the chopping block because you don't, you'll never have enough to do for all your characters. True, true. And there is one dynamic that's been missing from this season so far, and, and that was a dynamic that I really enjoyed 
last season and was looking forward to them to explore this season, and so far they haven't. And that is the stamets colberg gray Adira relationship. Because if you remember, Stamets and Colbert basically adopted Adira, and she became part of their extended family um, last season. And, you know, Gray was very, um, very enamored with Culber for building the body and getting, getting him out of the ethereal plane into the physical plane again. And it seems to me like, if I remember correctly, Adira and Gray have their own quarters now, and they're not with Stamets and Culber anymore. And we haven't seen them interact with, with Culber or Stamets yet this season. What do you think about that, Charles? Do you think that we're, we might get to see that, or do you think they've moved away from that in this new season? I hope we come back to it. I hope we do come back to it and get that relationship building. Because I know the the two, Gray and Adira, the, the actors, have a strong relationship with Culver and the Doctor. Because I know, I think they looked up to them at one point in that third season. So I'm hoping we get that kind of kind of get back in there. I think we're kind of getting caught up with the prime storyline, and I think some of the sub storylines are getting a little lost in there a little bit. Yeah, I think I think I think you might be on to something. Now, another clip I want to play, which is which is odd. I thought one of our one of our. Uh, I, I visit a lot of other Facebook pages. We like to, I like to keep our Facebook page. I mean, Star Trek's not perfect. I, I get that. Uh, none, none of the Star Trek shows are perfect. But they, they all have issues and problems. But um, I, I, try to, I like to keep our page positive because we're here because we love Star Trek. And uh, so I, I visit a lot of other pages. And a lot of pages are, are on Facebook are just, just terrible. Um, I don't even enjoy going to a lot of these pages just because of the hatred, just because of the, the, the fans attacking. It's just, it's just, it's just dirty. And I don't, I don't like it. So we like to keep our page clean and friendly and let's talk about what we love and not talk about what we hate. If you don't like something, that's fine. Um, you don't have to like it all. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, what we hate. So I hear a lot of fans on a lot of pages complaining. And this particular one I think is humorous because um, it kind of, it, it goes against itself. In one, one place they're saying, oh, we don't know enough about the rest of the crew. Um, they're just background characters. We don't know their names. We don't know anything about them. And it's all the Burnham show, the Burnham show, the Burnham show. And we don't learn anything else about the other characters. And then on the flip side, on these same boards that are saying that, we have par- characters complaining there's too much emotion and too much feeling in the show. Even the computer has feeling and they're not spending enough time on the story and too much time on the feeling. So, so which is it, you know? So this particular clip that I want to play for you guys um, is, is an example of why I think season four has been so good so far. Mr. Saru, before we go, I owe you an apology. When I was younger, my best friend got sick. She needed more help than our community's healers could give. 
I wanted to do something, but there was nothing to be done. And in the end, all I could do was watch her die. I felt powerless. You bore witness, Commander. That is something. And I thank you for sharing your story with me. Shall we? So that was Awushikan and talking to Saru about something that happened to her in her childhood, which just enhances that character and gives her more of a background story, which a lot of fans were complaining that these characters didn't have. Here we get it, and the fans are complaining. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I really think they're doing a great job with giving these background characters background story and giving them something to add to an episode, which is great. Um, so Awushikan, I think, is one of the characters that benefits from this. And I think this particular story about her growing up was a really good story to, to throw into the middle of this whole situation. So what did you think about that, Nate? Did, did, it, did it bother you that Awushikan stopped and, and apologized to Saru and shared this story well, with him? Do you think it was too much... No. No, there was not. There's nothing wrong with uh, that scene. Uh, and yes, the pages that you visited uh, in the in the first season. Um, what I'm saying is those pages. Some some points are right. What, what they said in the first season, we didn't know anything about the rest of the bridge crew. They might as well have been nameless ensigns or cadets. But as the the seasons have progressed they have uh like season two let me let me go to season two uh anson mount as pike made it a thing to make sure and identify and say everybody's name on the bridge right from when he got on the bridge so right from season two they i think they paid attention to some of the criticisms that they had gotten over season one on the fact that everybody was, it was, it was indeed the Michael Burnham show and nobody else mattered. But from that point on, as soon as Anson Mount got there, he made the, well, obviously it was the writers and the directors, but it was made a point. Pike made a point. Hey, this is, you know, great job. So-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. That's when we found out Owushikan's name, Bryce's name. Um, uh, uh, I know some people were calling uh, Detmer Lucy Left Eye for a while because we didn't know anything about her. Uh, so he made it a point to finally get everybody and, and say, hey, these people are important too. And so from that point on, all of their backstories started happening uh, last, I think it was last week's episode, you had, I think it was Bryce, I could be wrong on his name, but you had a character that talked about um, something that happened on Earth in the past, something about his uh, family getting killed in a hurricane. Uh, so you, you have these, these background characters, your supporting cast, now getting some uh, showtime now being expanded upon so yes it is a good thing um and i again i think it's because of their they listened to the criticism that 
fans were giving about these characters not having anything and, and Michael Burnham being number one, and that's it. Um, still, you do have, even in this season, you do have a lot of cases where it is Captain Burnham and uh, Saru as the primary people. But, again, it, overall, I think it's a good thing that everybody has now, since season two, have all been getting these uh, expanded upon and getting their backgrounds going. Yeah, that was Commander Reese that beamed down to the um, uh, prison planet with them to rescue the people because his family, <coughs> excuse me, because his family had perished in a in a hurricane back on Earth. Um, so yeah, and I thought that was great that they gave that character that that scene, which was really cool. Uh, he he particularly he said, "I want to beam down and help with this mission." because of this reason. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And they actually showed him on the planet with Booker and Burnham completing his mission, right. which was really neat. So now, um, yeah. also this week, something else happened similar where the whole, now I don't know if you're getting to it with a clip uh, pretty soon, but the whole plan of the, the sonar thing, um, you, it was brought up by one of the other bridge crew. Um, I don't remember if it was the same one that was the hurricane one, but it was something again that was uh, that uh, one of these secondary characters, the rest of the bridge crew uh, coming up with an idea and not just your number two people, your Captain Burnham and your uh, Mr. Suru. So uh, I was glad to see that. Yeah, that was that was R. A. Bryce, and he's the communications officer. And I was going to talk about this later in the show, but we can we can dive into this right now. I do have two more clips that I want to get to, but we still have a half an hour, so we got plenty of time to get to that. But um, Bryce brings up the fact that they can't that that there's nothing here, and that, that he says space is noisy. He specifically says that we have sonar, we have uh, black stars, we have suns, we have we have black holes. We, space is very, very noisy, but there's nothing. And Burnham asks him to put it on the speaker, and it's totally silent. So she asks him to, to do exactly what Ahura did in Star Trek IV with the whales and convert it with the sounds that they're hearing into human audio frequencies and put it on the on this so the whole ship could hear it and that's when he came up with the idea of what what we used to call sonar on earth and this was something that a lot of people complained about in this particular episode and but but when i rewatched it again um what he says is we're going to send out a, a, a electromagnetic pulse out to the barrier to the to this invisible wall that they can't see and when it hits that wall, it's going to ping back to us, and we can tell how far away it is by how long it takes for it to hit the wall. They do that, and then they give Detmer an opportunity to show off how brilliant she is because when that happens, she says, oh, it took 3.8 seconds for the electromagnetic pulse to hit the wall. It re rebounded to us in two seconds which is approximately 3.4 nanoseconds and 8.4 gigawatts. And she does this whole computation in her head, which Zora could have easily done instantly. 
But I thought that, like you were saying, Nate, I thought that was a great representation of the crew doing what the crew was supposed to do. And it gave right. Bryce an opportunity and it gave Detmer an opportunity to do something more than just say, I'm plotting a course or whatever, whatever. So I thought that was a really, really good scene. And I, I thought it was played really well. Um, Written when really they well, were going to get say. the, uh, before they played the, the sounds of space or for, do the sonar thing, I was totally expecting in that scene to start hearing whale song. Cause that was the first thing that came to my mind was star Trek four and the, uh, the way the conversation was going. And um, they were, for the again for the before the bounce back of the sounds and I was like oh they're gonna hear whale song right now uh, and because that probe also I believe came from extra uh, outside the galaxy as well so that was another thing uh, co- going back to our talk about the uh, Great Barrier and that kind of stuff stuff being outside the galaxy um, that I, that was the first thing I thought was going to happen was we were going to hear whale songs. That's right. Because I you're absolutely right. In Star Trek four, the voyage home, the whale probe came from beyond our galaxy, which is where the DMA is also from. You're absolutely right. So listen, guys, we've got to take another quick commercial break. And speaking of strange new worlds and Anson Mount, um, I'm going to play a little clip for you guys here. Uh, at the end of this clip, we'll be back. And this is the cast of Strange New Worlds introducing themselves. Hi, I'm Anson Mount, and I play Captain Christopher Pike on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Pretty much every day, there's a moment where I think to myself, I'm on Star Trek. I'm Ethan Peck, and I play Mr. Spock. Coming back to the Bridge of the Enterprise is thrilling, it's daunting. It's very surreal. I'm Rebecca Romaine, and I play Una, also known as Number One. The character was originated by Majel Barrett Roddenberry in the original pilot of the original series, and now we finally get to really flesh out this character, and she's way more complex than y'all know. Hi, my name is Celia Rose Gooding, and I am thrilled and honored to say that I will be playing Cadet Nyota Ukura. I am so excited to be stepping into this legacy. My name is Jess Bush, and I am delighted to announce that I will be playing Nurse Christine Chapel. I feel extremely honored. I'm Babzilla Smoko. I will be playing Dr. Mbenga. I'm ecstatic. Hello, my name is Bruce Horak, and I'm thrilled to announce that I will be playing the character of Hammer. I'm welling up with emotion as I say it. My name is Christina Chong, and I play Laani Min Singh. I am super excited to become a part of this amazing, diverse universe. My name is Melissa Navia, and I'm super excited to announce that I will be playing Lieutenant Erica Ortega on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Feels really good to finally be able to say that. The cast that we were able to pull together for this exactly the kind of people you would have hoped you'd end up with on a high wire walk like this. And we're back. So, uh, anyways, we were just talking about Sonar and Star Trek IV and how all the bridge characters have had an opportunity so far to demonstrate their expertise, which which I think is great, and have their moment in the sun. And speaking of moments in the sun, uh, here's another clip I wanted to play for you guys. And this is a character, uh, a character by the name of Booker. 
And this is a conversation that he has with his father. Nice ship. The wall panels. I see you tried to simulate the wood of the tulip tree. Classy. Listen, I know why you hated me. I hunted creatures our people considered sacred. But I didn't choose that path. The Emerald Chain forced me to hunt them to pay for their protection. I couldn't fight back. I lost you because I was weak. Now I see that same weakness in you. It's no weakness to trust someone you love, Dad. The strengths, even still, she will pick Starfleet over you, over Quasar every time. And one day, you'll be the one who has to choose. I don't know if this is actually you. But I'm going to choose to believe it is, rather than some part of my subconscious. Because if spirits do go on, that means Lito, Kahim, everyone else I've lost. They're not gone after all. Not really. Goodbye, Dad. And happy birthday. So, Charles, I, I, I picked this clip. I wanted to get your take on Booker saying goodbye to his father. And, and, and more specifically, this clip brings up something which isn't touched upon very frequently in Star Trek, and that is the, the, the fact that somebody's soul continues on. And this is, you know, religion and, and, and spiritual things of this nature uh, is the one thing that Star Trek doesn't really touch on a lot. Well, they did in this clip uh, where, where Booker says to his father that, you know, if, if he's actually there, that means that all of his loved ones that died on Quajon are also there, hinting at the fact that he'll get a chance to see them again at some point in time, uh, presumably when he dies, but that's not specifically mentioned. So we don't know what the Quajon belief system is, but well, what did you think about this clip, Charles, and about uh, learning about Book and his background and his father and, you know, the possibility of spiritual uh, reckoning? Well, they talked quite a bit in this episode and other, other scenes especially when talking with Culber, that Quasions are a unique unique species. They're very highly, I guess, emotional. I think it's one of the words I use. But the fact that his species is a little more different and I think a little more connected to their people. But I think maybe this was a bit of a tie-in that allowed him to spend a little time with his dad. And I think for a while, dad was very angry that he's not, that Booker's not following the, the path of the family. And yet, on this final scene, he kind of realizes, well, yeah, I guess I understand you a little better. Yes, Burnham's going to push towards Starfleet and not 
just a little more free like they were. But that Booker does have a pl- Booker knows a little more what he's doing with himself. <laughs> that I think he's got a bit of a plan of his own out there. And that dad realizes that. But also I think that Booker finally realized that his dad was caught. He was unhappy with what dad was doing with hunting down the worms and yet found out the truth that dad's like, couldn't do anything else. I was caught by the emerald chain and forced to do what he did. And I think Booker may have not realized that dad was forced to do what he what he was doing because of the emerald chain. Which we realize as we continue on how strong the emerald chain was in that time period. Yeah, I I, thought, I like the way they they mentioned the emerald chain and 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 uh, how his father was being made to do something that he didn't want to do, which fits perfectly with what the emerald chain was all about. Yeah. So that I thought that was a really good scene, and it gave Booker a chance to David Ajala a chance to show his acting chops and have a really yeah. a really well written, well acted scene with his father. And I have one more clip to play for you guys, and then I want to delve into the episode itself. And this is just a simple, this is another Booker clip, but this is a Booker Saru clip. My father had so much anger in him. I told myself I'd never be like that. Maybe I am. All I want to do is destroy them. I understand. The Ba'ul called my people for centuries. My parents died at their hands. Now I sit across from them at the Kamenar Council. I still feel rage. But you seem so balanced. So calm. We're both justified in our anger. Allowing it to be our focus, however, only prevents us from achieving those things which serve the greater good. It is a struggle, yes. But a worthy one. So, Nate, what did you think about Saru finally talking about what, how he feels hanging out with the Ba'ul who basically killed and ate his family? Or, or David? Um, Charles? Anybody? <laughs> hi. <laughs> Is anyone still here? I'm still here. We're uh, here. Oh, cool. I need to get a little bit of an insight on Saru. 
because we knew a little bit about Saru's history with this culture and what they did to his people. And through his right to be angry and yet have to deal with the fact that, okay, I have to deal with peace with these people. And one of the things that actually will fit in that is look at how we're trying to deal with, okay, I got to deal with these across the table. Look at Star Trek Six and what Kirk had to do. All the anger he had to do with Klingon, and yet he was forced to be having to sit across the table and do a peace treaty with us, which I think made it a little difficult for him. So we kind of deal with the fact that Saru still has to deal with this pe- these people that enslaved his people in the past that are now equal. And that's not an easy thing for him to deal with, uh, dealing with an enemy of his past. Right. And, and, it's book and you know, idea what that thing is to. I think, um, I think uh, that we're finally seeing Booker uh getting out of the funk and uh, of what happened to his planet and his family. Would you, would you agree with that, Nate? Uh, yeah, he, um, <clears throat> you know, cause he spent the, those couple episodes, um, basically sidelined because of his, his feelings and his, his, um, um, uh, despair over the situation and this this episode you saw him saying hey i you know he went down to spore engineering i, I need to get i need to be involved somehow so yeah so he is um opening back up and trying to get involved and not just uh, de- uh being uh distraught over it and just sulking yeah i think i think he's i think he's finally come over over that hump and so wow we're running out of so let's 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 talk in particular about this episode what do you say dave you want to talk about this episode david yeah sure yep all right let's talk about this episode so this the, the the main gist of this episode goes all the way back to a tng episode called relics and that's the one where Scotty crashes on the Dyson Sphere, and he puts him and um, poor Jennifer Oliver, I can't remember his name, Benjamin, I don't remember, but him and his engineering mate, and he puts them in a repeating uh, pattern in the pattern buffer, and then Jordy finds him and materializes him 79 years later. And so now we see yeah. that same technology used in this episode. First of all, what did you think about them going back and using a plot from another episode to move a current plot ahead? Did that bother you that they did that, David? Um, no, it didn't bother me. Um, speaking of relics, I, I literally just watched that last night, and you remember the guy's name, whose name was Franklin. Franklin, that's it, Franklin, yep. 
Yeah. That's right. And um, I actually thought it was kind of cool that they did that because I was like, well, if they did it in one series, why can't they do it again, which they did. And um, the only thing I really didn't like about the ending of this uh, particular episode was why did the captain have to stay behind? Why couldn't she also go in and do all that with them? And why did she have to, like, sit there and take the heat? And yet when you're under that much extreme heat, I don't think being distracted by a song can actually help you in any way. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I didn't really particularly like the ending of this episode. And I... I did like the idea that they did bring in original ideas, but, um, you know, I, I still thought the whole ending there was a little lack of a better word, kind of a bad writing, I guess, <laughs> in my opinion. But, I um, mean, yeah, I, I did like that uh, idea. And um, I don't know, that's just my opinion about it. <laughs> And what would, on a scale of one to ten, what would you score it, David? Well, considering the ending was really pretty bad, um, I'm actually about thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna give it about a uh, six, six point five, somewhere in there. Six point five. All right. Six. So Nate, what, what what did you think about them reusing Scotty's brilliant idea from from a TNG episode? Well, there's there's nothing wrong with them utilizing something like that. It's been done before. It's it's a proven event. Uh, that uh, it, it's a proven technology that works. There's no reason why they they shouldn't do it again. Uh, going on the um, on uh, David's talk there about the ending and and the EV suit uh, and how hot it was getting and such. I believe in that scene um, that uh, the Zora had stated that she was reading that the EV suit was failing, and you still had four minutes for them to travel to uh, outside this barrier. Uh, uh, I believe it was four minutes. Uh, so obviously her EV suit was not going to survive uh, those four minutes. Um, now, I watched a YouTuber, uh, Trek Culture. Um, I don't know if anybody has uh, watched that YouTuber before. Uh, and I believe it was his video that I watched. And he mentioned that perhaps that Zora had um, initiated and put Burnham into the pattern, pattern buffer during those four minutes. And then when we see her get revived by Dr. Colber later on, it's that she's been brought out of the pattern buffer uh, and why she's unconscious is because, you know, she had uh, gone unconscious, then Zora put her in the pattern buffer, and then she was revived. Now, again, that's just that in the YouTuber's thoughts on it, but I, I can agree that that is a possibility that uh, what Zora did with that. And I, I agree with you completely. Um, when I, I was watching that episode, uh, to answer your question, David, she said the captain stays with the ship, and that's why she chose not to go into the pattern buffer. But I also think that, that Burnham would have known that the, that the suit wouldn't have been able to handle that amount of heat. I mean, I, I would think she would know what the, what the suit can handle 
versus what kind of the conditions are going to be. So I would have thought that she would have known that, but whatever, she didn't or she chose to ignore it. And I think you're absolutely right, Nate. I think that Zora, as Zora was singing that song to her and we, we could see that look on her face, I think you're absolutely right. I think she was passing out. And I think that at the moment that she passed out, Zora made the decision. Because remember, Zora is now a living computer, so she's capable of making decisions like that. I think that Zora made the decision that she's going to put the captain in the buffer with everybody else. And I think that's exactly what she did. Right as she was passing out, she beamed her in there for the last three minutes and then beamed her out with everybody else. And that's when we see Dr. Pollard who returns finally after six episodes and Dr. Colbert waking her up. So I think that's exactly what we saw. And Nate, what would you score this episode on a scale of one to 10? Uh, well, we pretty much went over all my positives and negatives. So uh, I scored this on the Facebook page as an eight. I uh, was uh, quite happy with the episode. So before we get, I saved the best for last before we get to Charles there was one thing that I noticed in this episode that, that, that bugged me, and then I thought, wow, you know, they, they can do much better than this. And that was because I, I work maintenance, and, uh, you know, I work in a jail, and I work on a lot of doors and things of that nature. And there was this one scene and brought me – I mean, when I see stuff like this, which I don't see very often on Star Trek except – I mean, very rarely – have I ever seen this on Star Trek, which is why it surprised me. Um, when Booker is in the spore drive and he gets hit by the lightning bolt thing and Stamets shuts down the whole jump and he goes in there and pulls him out. When Booker is standing in there and the camera pans around, what do we see on the door? We see a hydraulic, door opener on the top of the door and right away i was like oh my god i can't believe they did that they couldn't have painted it different or or made it look different it looks like a like a door any other door opener that you would see at kmart or walmart or anywhere they didn't even alter it it even had the adjusting screw on the side and i'm like oh my god that pulled me right out of the episode immediately and i was like oh man why did you do that it's a small gripe, but it's just something I wanted to mention that you don't see Star Trek do that very often. But in this case, they did. They had a standard everyday door opener on this door like I work on at work every day. And I was like, oh, no. The doorknob. <laughs> it's like, give me a break. Um, I would think that, you know, by, by the 32nd century, they would have had, you know, some other way to open a door besides a hydraulic door opener. But. That's a small one. I, you know, I just, I wanted to mention that anyways. Um, But even with that aside, I really enjoyed this episode. I think that Frakes did a great job. It was a bottle episode. Everything took place on the ship. We never left the ship. This episode really had the feel of an old, like, like a, a Star Trek episode, like a TOS or TNG episode. This one did. Um, other than them going into the DNA, there really wasn't much of the uh, ongoing story arc going on in this particular episode. It was all on the ship. It all dealt with the void. I really like what they did with the characters in this episode. Booker got a lot to do. Oa got a lot to do. Uh, and Saru got to share some of his insights. Uh, Gray 
shows up and, and, and does some stuff. Bryce saves the day. Detmer shows off her brilliance. So I really, really enjoyed this episode. I thought Frakes did a great job with it. And I'm right there with, I'm, I think I'm right there with Nate at the 8.5-ish area uh, for me. And that, that leaves the best for last. And that's you, Charles. Take it away. Well, definitely, I think <clears throat> we've seen more than just Relic that they use the pattern buffer because we've seen the crew that put himself, you know, got themselves caught in the pattern buffer that Barkley re- thought he had uh, transporter syndrome. So and I'm sure there's been other episodes where they've done such a thing. Definitely, I think it's a creative way of looking at the past. Let's reuse the past a little bit since they do know about such things and use them to their advantage. I think the, the captain going down with the ship was a bit much, but I think that's how Burnham is. That's the type of person Burnham is. I think that four-minute delay and her going in the pattern buffer probably was about true. But she had some good interactions with with uh, Zora, and I think it was good to have those interactions with her. I think Frank did a good job with this, especially doing a bottle episode. I'll say about an eight, eight point, eight point three five. Yeah, so we're we're all pretty much right with all the fans except for David. We're all pretty much right there, which is pretty we're cool. Here. We don't know what Eric. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know where Eric uh, falls on that list because uh, Eric is off enjoying his holidays, and that's cool. So uh, there you have it, guys. I want to say thank you so much to Ken the Admiral for hanging out with us tonight, stepping in and filling the shoes of Eric, and wishing my awesome daughter a happy birthday. Thank you so much, Ken. I also want to say thank you to David for hanging out with us and, and calling in and sharing his insights. Thank you, David. Oh, you're welcome. This has been pretty fun. And I also want to say thank you to Nate. It was unexpected, but very glad that you joined us tonight. Thank you so much, Nate. Yeah, no problem. You're welcome. And, of course, thank you, as always, to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you so much, Charles. It's always a lot of fun. I hope everybody on the show and all our fans have a good new year. Yes, everybody. Talk to you next year. Yes, next year we'll be back. And uh, please, everybody, stay safe and be good to each other this New Year's. I know it's going to be a weird New Year's because we're still embroiled in this whole COVID thing. So please try to stay safe as best as you can. Uh, We want you to all come back and enjoy next week's show. Next week, we'll be talking about the episode that's on tonight. Uh, I didn't check the title of it, but the episode that's airing right now, we're going to be talking about next Thursday. Um, And then I think Prodigy is coming back. Yeah, I believe, I believe this January 6th, I think. Uh, yeah, so uh, we'll be switching gears from Discovery to Prodigy, and I think we have six episodes of Prodigy, and then we switch gears back to uh, Discovery. So we're going to be going back and forth here a little bit, so just bear with us. And you can always find out the schedule on our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond, if you have any questions. Just go there, give us a like, give us a follow, and you can subscribe to our podcast. That way you'll never miss one. 
which is great for us and great for you. So at any rate, guys, this is our final show of 2021. I can't believe another year has come and gone. It's just phenomenal. And uh, as I always say, Star Trek fans are the best fans, and you better believe that it's true. So hailing frequencies are closed. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying good night and live long and prosper. Thanks for listening, everybody. Live long and prosper. Happy New Year, everyone. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.